welcome back to another podcast episode. This is episode number 50. And for number 50, I wanted to do something a little bit different. And so I've invited back um, guest artist Angie Montgomery. And Angie is going to be asking me questions for our 50th episode. So if you have ever wondered anything about me or, or what I do, you're this is it. So Angie, welcome and thank you for coming in and doing this. Hey, Derek. Thanks for having me back. Um, I'm really excited to do the tables turned because I'd much rather listen to somebody else's story than tell my own. <laughs> plus, plus, I think that yours is going to be really interesting. So, Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, so for starters, I see that you've renamed the podcast. So it's not spotlight on anymore, is it? It's no, it's Mississippi artist to artist now. Mississippi artist to artist. I like it. Um, <laughs> and then I also saw that you have a hotline happening. Yeah. So call and ask questions. I'm, I'm hoping it kicks off. It's one of those things that, you know, you, you I throw it out there and I don't know what's going to happen with it so far. You know, we haven't had any callers, but I don't, you know, you never know. So it's just been the first couple of weeks that we've had that going. Um, and it just reminds me of when I was growing up and in the nineties, the it was a fun thing that you could call into like TRL or, or anything like that and leave messages. And I thought that that would be fun if um, other artists and art lovers in Mississippi were able to find out who was coming up. And if they had any questions about their artwork or lives, they'd be able to call in ahead of time and leave their message and we would be able to ask it on the podcast. I really like that. I like it a lot. Um, so I didn't call and put in any questions, but I did ask other people around me. And I think that, you know, to start it off, we've all been dying to know Derek. Um, what's your favorite paint color? My favorite paint color. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So that's, that's really difficult. Um, ooh. Put it this way. If you were locked inside a room, so you couldn't go outside, you didn't have access to earth pigments. You were locked inside a room, you could only have one tube of paint, what would it be? Payne's gray. Payne's gray. Payne's gray. I okay. think that that's been the only, like I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of black because I'm not very good at using it. Um, and Payne's gray is on this, this really super dark, beautiful blue level. And it just, it matches in with my paintings perfectly. And I'm able to go in and do like wonderful underpaintings and I'm able to take it super thin. Um, and, and if, if nobody's, or if you're not familiar with my artwork, um, I paint in really, really thin layers in acrylic. Um, so it's almost like doing a watercolor, but every layer needs to dry and, you know, and, and then I'll go over it again and it's super transparent. And I like the way that the, the light goes through the entire painting, bounces off the canvas, and it almost looks like each painting's lit up from inside. I thought they were watercolors. I saw, I thought some of them were watercolors. Yeah, I, well, and, and it comes from being cheap. You know, when I was in college and, and they give you this huge list of stuff you have to buy to go into all of these painting courses. And, you know, that's 
$500 worth of art supplies. And so I can't afford that every time. And the, the tubes of paint they wanted me to purchase were, you know, 30 or $40 a tube. And, and yeah, I've still got some of those tubes because I learned to thin it out and be really cheap. And I guess that's really <laughs> how my method developed was from, from a necessity of having to make things last a lot longer. Okay. All right. So pain's great. That's so cool. <laughs> Um, I love Payne's Gray. That's one of my favorites as well. Um, so, you know, throughout history, art's been a lot of things. Like, it's been about communication. It's been based around religion, um, objects as rituals used as therapy. So I'm interested, you know, way back when, how did you develop a relationship with art? Where did it all start for you? Mm. Um, well, art originally came into my life, I think, as a way to keep me quiet. <laughs> we traveled a lot when I was younger. My, my parents print T-shirts. Um, so they're screen printers and they were really involved in the, the car show circuit pre-49. So um, every weekend we were traveling to a different location and they would set up and do their screen printing operations. And I always had paper and pencil and my parents noticed that I was good at that. And I was quiet when I did that. <laughs> You know, that, that kind of became a thing. And then um, I discovered comic books, in particular, uh, Stan Lee, the, the second, um, <laughs> the second one and um, X-Men in the 90s. And I loved the way they looked. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. So I started, um, you know, copying his work and eventually learning, you know, figures through that um, and fell in love with kind of people. And, and that's kind of where that's developed from. That's really interesting. So, so one of the, the next questions I was going to ask you is what, what did your art look like when you were an older kid and a teenager? And not only that, but when you showed it to people, what was the response? So when I was a teenager, I, and, and I teach against this now, I, I teach my kids, um, you know, the power of, of having your own ideas and being proud of what you produce all by yourself. Um, but when I was a teenager, my artwork was all reproductions. It was all copies of comic books. It was, um, little, uh, grateful dead bears on everybody's book bag. And, and, you know, I, I really wanted to be liked. <laughs> and so I would do anybody's artwork on anything just in order to have a friend. So, um, you know, that was really everything that my art looked like in the, the, oh, that's going to be in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you used art to, to gain friendships. Yeah. Well, pretty much it didn't always work, but I was a weird little kid in a, in a, um, in a, a different environment. So it didn't always play out to my advantage, but that, I learned how useful art can be in that way. Right. I think a lot of kids do that now, you know, they're all copying their favorite anime characters mm -hmm. and, um, you know, draw anything else yet. <laughs> <laughs> the comics have moved to TV. So they're all copying their characters from TV. So yeah, I feel you. I've been trying to find a way around, but still nurturing their like need to do that. So so you copied a lot of reproductions. Did you have any art training when you were younger or in high school? 
Um, in high school, in late high school, um, there was a, a, a teacher that taught at the, the public school here and she um, started teaching private classes. Her name was Vicki Land and she actually passed away last year. Um, but she I was I, I was lucky enough to get into one of her classes and um, through jun junior and senior year, she kind of caught me up on everything else. You know, here's painting, here's watercolor, here's actual drawing and pastels and pencils and, you know, all of the stuff that I hadn't been exposed to. And for and these books still exist out there, but there's the, the draw along books, you know, learn how to draw books and they show you, OK, here's a basic shape. Now, here's the next step. Now, here's the next step. And here's the next step. And if you don't know anything about drawing or going from step to step to step, it looks foreign, like completely foreign. So I could go in and copy, but I couldn't look at something and, and structure it in order to, to reproduce it. Break it down in your brain. Yeah. I couldn't break it down in my brain the way that the book would show you to. And, um, and she was able to go in and, and show me how to do that. Um, you know, she already knew that I could see everything that was there, but I couldn't make my hand do it. And she was able to kind of connect all those dots and, um, and, and got me far enough along where I was able to go to Colin to the local community college and, um, and get in and do things there. Okay. Um, so I want to know about what you did at the community college and your training there, because I, I learned that a really interesting thing that you actually have to double vocations, but before we leave your childhood, um, were there any other forms of expression that you were interested in? Did you get into like music or dance or writing? No, not really. Um, or sports? <laughs> no, not at all. Sports. I tried sports um, when I was when I was really young. You know, the, the whole t-ball and basketball and all that stuff that you go through um, that kids put all their I mean, adults put all their kids in, you know, just to. <laughs> I need time to go grocery shopping here. Go do all this. Um, and it just, I was never good at them. I, I, I didn't care. <laughs> Who wants to put a ball in a hoop? I want to sit over here and look at flowers and draw stuff. I don't know. Um, or I want to go play superheroes was most likely what it was. But then there's a whole other part. I, I don't talk a whole lot about the, the negative parts of my childhood. Um, it had nothing to do really with, with family, but it had everything to do with where I grew up. And, um, you know, I love Brookhaven and I love Mississippi, but Mississippi doesn't love things that are different mm -hmm. and they have a hard time with it. And at a very young age, the people around me recognized that I was different and I didn't know. And so you, you start getting these influential pressures, um, especially when it comes through organized religion that shut you down. And it took um, a really, really long time for me to be okay with anything that would be considered sissy. Um, so with dancing or singing or, you know, any of that stuff, it, it, um, that was something that I felt that I had to block out of my life in order to feel normal or acceptable to, to those that are around me. And yeah, so a lot of that got shut out. I love doing it, but I would do it in private. You know, I would um, sing at the top of my lungs when nobody was at home 
and then turn beet red when my brother would walk in or, you know, it's just, it was, it was those types of things that were kind of stopped all that from happening. So, you know, this plays a very big part in, in my work and I think in yours as well, but there, there is a detriment to, to loneliness and, um, you know, I kind of wanted to flow through the timeline of, of your life and your college and where it all led to, but, you know, you were having, you know, certain internal conflicts from a young age, like, you know, I, I know that you're a man of faith, right? Yeah. Grew up in the church, probably just like me. And, and in that faith, you know, we're told from a young age that there are proper roles for a man and a woman and anything that doesn't fit inside those roles is, is a sin. Right. But it's just not true. And I think, I think over time, like over history, a lot of people's secrets and desires have been hidden from the timeline. Like my, my uncle, my dad's brother, who's not living anymore, you know, he, he eventually came out to the family that he was a gay man. And my grandmother would joke to the stage. She was like, Oh, David, he's just over in the corner playing with Jan's dolls again. He just does that. It's fine. <laughs> so, you know, he might've gotten a little bit of kickback from, from some of his brothers or the men, but at the same time, you know, it was just, it was just who he was and it was kind of recognized within the family, but some families aren't as accepting. So you don't have to go into too much detail about your personal life, but, but I, I would be interested in knowing like how, how does faith, um, and then, you know, your, your personal expression play into the work, the beginning work that you created. So I would have to say that the, the work that I create, even now, um, it, it, it stems back to trying to figure myself out, trying to give myself um, an acceptable form of expression. The, and it took me a long to figure a long time to figure out what I was doing, um, you know, because in it, it's hard to start out and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to accomplish this. This is what I want to do. It's what my brain is saying. For me, it took a long time of acting on passion and instinct and saying, I need to paint this. I need to paint this. I need to paint this. And then having 30 or 40 paintings in front of me and looking at them all and being like, oh, crap, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> you, you get to you get to go back and read your body of work. You're the only person that can actually read it like literature, like you are going to be able to figure out what you need to talk about and how you're talking about it. And for me, I use a lot of single subject matter. Mostly, I think it comes to that that point of isolation and feeling alone for a long time. Um, and then I also dug deep into finding emotions that I wasn't comfortable with expressing as a Southern man. 
um, even though they would be expressed, especially as a child, you know, I'm going to boohoo, I'm going to do everything like that. And now I'm, I'm an extremely sensitive guy. Like there's a Charmin commercial where a baby uh, <laughs> dad teaches the baby dad how to wipe his butt. And it makes me cry. It's just this, you know, it's, I, I have those types of, um, emotional reactions to things. And I was, I hated myself for it for a really long time because that was a key indicator. You know, that's going to be a big flashing light bulb above you for everybody else to automatically hate you because you're different. And it's just how I felt. Um, so I started creating all of these portraits of women um, displaying different emotions, you know, through their face and and their their body language um, that reflected the ways that I felt on the inside, especially after different experiences. Um, and now that's grown. I don't, I don't really share a lot of my work. Now I focus on, um, you know, promoting other people's work. Um, but, but the work I produce now is still the single subject matter, but it's, it's surprisingly it's changed into the male figure, which I'd never expected for me to be, for me to want to paint. Um, and now they're starting to tell more personal narratives. Um, you know, personal experiences that I've had. So it's just, it's always been about trying to find a way to connect my internal emotions to an image to hopefully connect with somebody else's emotions. Um, mm -hmm. Are there internal conflicts? So maybe I don't feel so alone in the world and they don't feel so alone in the world. That makes perfect sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it does to me um, because I, I think my art is very similar in that way. Um, so, so you mentioned painting a lot of women. And when I looked through your work, I noticed that there was four main buckets of um, subjects that you have explored, or at least the ones that you've shared publicly. Um, women being one of them icons or maybe people you look up to and in, inside of pop culture um mississippi so your your connection to your homeland and then the fourth one is collaborations but not only collaborations like like you said you're trying to connect on an emotional level but i think the collaborations are collaborating with um people's darker sides so I just want to unpack these, these buckets for yeah. a second. So you talked a little bit about the women, but I want to know why women, why did you start with women? There has been one constant in my life and it has been that women bond with me faster. They do not, they're less judgmental about me in general and they tend to take me as a personality and a person first and and not necessarily care about anything that the the person above and beyond who did that was you know my grandmother um my she she had my back no matter what from the day i was born and it didn't matter who anybody was what they had done in their life or what they looked like she loved them first. And if I go back and think about all of the people in my life, the women have been the strongest people. They've also been, you know, in, in the other side of that, you know, I see I, I, I'm able to find the emotions in women because it's 
a little bit more acceptable for them to show or at least be photographed um, with the emotions that that I want to portray. Um, and it really is, you know, I, I, I like stock photography, but um, I also have, you know, I like deviant art because they have these ton of photographers that that want you to work with their um, photos. And so I'll you know, I'll spend months and months just collecting all of these interesting photos of women and, and portraits and stuff like that. And then I'll get in my feels. Um, I'll, I'll get anxious one day and I know that I have something that I need to figure out how to uh, what I'm feeling. And so I'll play flashcards and I go through them until I find the one that's it's there. That's exactly what I'm feeling right now. And I need to get it out of me and I need to put it into this portrait. And so um, I feel like that's, that's pretty so much interesting. It's like emotion, emotional Rolodex. Yeah. It, we, it, <laughs> Yeah, it really is. Um, I wasn't taught growing up and I don't need it as much now. Um, I've, I've gone through enough emotions and finding them and identifying them um, to, to be able to work with them easier. But in the beginning, you know, you, I, I couldn't identify what emotions I were feeling. I, I were I was feeling, you know, it just you weren't supposed to. As a right. you just. You know, you ignore it and buck up and get on with it. So it took me a while to kind of figure that out. And that's a lot where the women came from. Okay. So what about Mississippi? You have, um, you have quite a few, you know, subjects that are very reminiscent of the South and this place that we live, which is, you know, I think very beautiful in its own way. And even now, you're starting to kind of meld your Mississippi with, with these figures, which is really interesting. Um, so, and I think too, you know, we just, we, we paint or we create our lives and what we know. So it's inevitable that it's going to come through a little bit, but how do you feel like this place, the land where, whatever it is that's so connected to your memories and all of that feed, feed into your work, um, past and present. I think Mississippi is a difficult place. Um, I love Mississippi. It's gorgeous. And my family's here and, and people like, honestly, people love each other. Um, but Mississippi has a lot of issues and it's very complex um, and it's it's history is complex and difficult. And, you know, and when you dive into it, it's it shouldn't be a place that I enjoy being. But, you know, that being said, with all the child stuff, the childhood stuff I went through at the same time, I was surrounded by people that love me, you know, and. And you being faith-based, you understand this too. You know, you go into a church or organize and, and it's, it's encapsulating with love. They make sure that you feel the love at the same time. They make sure that you feel, you know, the pressure to change. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's a Southern thing that people around here make you feel seen and loved. Um, so I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the beauty that Mississippi has to offer, but it's, it's a rose bush. 
You know, you can smell the roses, but as soon as you start to grab in there, you're going to reach back a bloody paw. It's just, it's, it's not always the most fun place to be. Um, I think that the paintings I'm creating now celebrate the beauty, but talk a lot about the complexity of diversity and the lack of acknowledgement of diversity. Mississippi is an extremely diverse place, but everybody just can't scream who they are. It's, it's, it's not a place where everybody gets to wear, you know, their badge on their sleeve with honor. You know, it, it, it's it's a hard place to do that. Um, so I think that my art now is starting to, to meld those two concepts together, at least where I can deal with it. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I can see. Um, I have a few things to say about your art now, but I will <laughs> hold that for just a little bit. Um, but I think it's really interesting. I think it's going to a very interesting place. Um, so the last two buckets was icons, people that you've looked up to and, and the collaborations that you've done or, you know, collecting from others to then, to then start sharing, you know, maybe some of their, you know, rosebush thorns. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, pop sorry, go ahead. Pop culture has always been really important, um, to me, you know, going back to again, childhood that you, you have the weekends where I traveled and I was encased in 1940s and fifties pop culture. And I loved it. You know, the James Dean and Marilyn Monroe and the beautiful cars and the neon pink and, you know, and, and jukeboxes and records and all of that stuff, you know, dice, dominoes, checkered floors, like dance halls. It was great. I, I loved it. Um, and then as I started to get older, I found John Waters, who loves pop culture, especially from that era, as much as I do. But he puts a ton of messages into his movies and his productions, his plays. Um, you know, you look at the original Hairspray that he created and it was it was deeply about, you know, not only class warfare within the white community, but also how the black community was being completely alienated and, and, and wouldn't be allowed into anything. And how in the end, you know, he brought the story around and showed segregation in a way that could happen, but also showed segregation in the way that it, um, the deconstruction of segregation and the way that it normally has to happen is with an explosion. Um, and then you've got movies that, that I fell in love with like uh, cry baby that celebrated that, that era. And just all of this culture that came out in the mid nineties, that was wonky and reflective. And I love that. Um, so I, I, I fell hard for, for entertainment like that. Um, also my, my grandmother, the, she used to do tickets at the movie theater. And so after school, we would get dropped off at her house and my parents worked until late. And so I would always go to work with her and get sat into a movie until my parents got off of work and could pick me up. So from like 1987 until 1997, all I did was every day go and watch a different movie. And it was um, and then you fast forward that a little bit when I'm, I'm in my teenage years and I find things like um, 
the Golden Girls on Nick at Night and got to start seeing and, and designing women. And those were two shows that were extremely influential to me because both of them had queer characters and accepting storylines. And that was, but, but, um, controversial accepting storylines, you know, you, you had in, um, in golden girls, you know, the, the Blanche had rejected her, her gay brother and it took the rest of them explaining the situation to, to her, to, to kind of get her to come around. And it helped me cope a lot with myself, you know, having them explain it to somebody who was rejecting that whole aspect of life was them explaining to me how I could start to kind of cope with accepting that aspect of my life. It was the, the little bit of visibility that I got to see. So I got to see how pop culture could really change the world. And I paid attention. And when it came time to, to kind of start honing your skills as an artist, everybody goes through it. They're like, you just have to start banging out and get your thousand hours, right? Get your 10,000 hours. Just keep going. Yeah. Painting, painting. Um, I'm not as good at doing that without a goal. And so my goal was to go back through and find people in pop culture that I admired. I felt like their lives really mattered, um, that they changed something for the positive when they came through the world. And I started um, creating series based on that just so I could, you know, bang out the paintings. And I love these people anyway. Um, it also gave me an opportunity because every one of those portraits that I did, um, I didn't just sit down with a picture. I would play their music or I would have their movies on, or I would have their interviews on, or I would just, I would have all aspects of their life kind of surrounding me. So hopefully I would be able to get an inflection of their spirit, something in there that was a little spark of their, what they actually accomplished in their life. Um, I wanted to honor it. So that's kind of where the, the pop culture stuff came on. It was like melding, what I knew was easy for me to, to come up with quick and that I loved and then filling that need of having to, to paint and get my hours in. Well, it sounds like too, that these people that you painted were, you know, even if you didn't know them personally, they were huge mentors in your life and they were, you know, someone that you could look to and, find a commonality with your storyline and their storyline um, that was positive, right? Instead of, you know, in, here in Mississippi, I can only imagine like, it's hard to find a, a kindred soul. <laughs> no, they move, you know. <laughs> in many ways, but, um, you know, along the way, like I have to imagine that this whole series, cause you did a ton of them, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds, maybe not hundreds, but it seemed like a whole bunch. <laughs> I might've done so it. You spent, and how long does it take to make a painting? You know, at least. Um, well, those were small. So I okay. did um, eight by tens and nine by twelves for those. And so, and, and it was a, a painting a day challenge. Um, less okay. data, um, probably this was 2015. I think I was listening to Leslie Seda. And um, she was doing the the 30 days and uh, the 30 paintings and 30 days challenge. And she was doing it in January and in September. And so that's when I jumped on and I was like, OK, let's let's do this with her. And um, so that's that's why that happened that way. That's where the, all of those came from, was me trying to to get as many done in a month that I could 
Do you think that that was life-changing, like spending day after day with these mentors that were so positive? Yeah. 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 The experience of them and like just getting to sit with their lives every day was special. It it really was. Um, I, I knew a good amount about these people in general because they're people that I'm slightly obsessed with. Um, but these, this was the chance for the deep dive on every one of them. Right. Yeah. That's wonderful. I recently painted a picture of my, um, grandparents and the whole time I was listening to music they played in the kitchen and it was crazy because, you know, when you're painting at some point in the process, it comes to life. Like it all just comes to life. And, you know, I cried. I was like, Oh, it's just beautiful. I feel like I'm with them. So I can only imagine that, you know, painting these mentors, the process of getting to know them, being surrounded and all your senses being surrounded with them and then watching them come to life before your eyes. Um, yeah, it's really special. So I think that's beautiful. And it's humbling. Like it really is humbling because it's, it's taking in a, an example of what a life can be. Right. And how, how world changing that one life can be. And there were many that I tried to do that I couldn't make it through. I would get like too emotionally upset over, you know, this person, because there's so many, so many just people that have changed the world that were taken out in the middle of their lives or, you know, and something tragic happened to them. And you, you, I would start a painting thinking I could make it through it. And then it would get to that part of their lives and I'm in the middle of painting it. And it's just a whole mental breakdown and they're not more this, you know, their spirits, not even on the earth anymore. And, and it was just too hard to take. So some of them would get shut down, but, um, but for the most part, it's, it's been, it was a really good experience. And um, I don't know how many of the people out there listening are painters, but painting is a mind F. <laughs> it really is the whole process. Um, so, you know, when like very recently I started being just dead honest with with the work I create and why I'm creating it. And it's crazy. But when it, when I started being honest, it seemed like the world started listening to what I was trying to say. And I started making, you know, really sincere connections with people in beautiful ways. Um, So I'm wondering, do you have a memorable connection that you've made through your work? I think the more memorable connections I'm making are the ones I'm making now. And it's not necessarily through the work I'm doing as a painter, but the work I'm doing as a creative and getting to, I mean, getting to do things like this, this, this means the world to me getting to sit down and talk with another person that is going through the something similar as to what I'm going through that that's special painting is painting you know painting will always be painting that's fine i can do that that's that's a technical aspect but the any any type of relationship that i can get from creating is what i really really like enjoy and thrive on 
And you had mentioned collaborations earlier. And I think, I think the collaboration you're, you were um, starting to get at was the um, baggage. Yeah. The, <laughs> leave your baggage. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about that. Yeah. That was rough. That shut me down completely. Um, so leave your baggage, trying to figure out who I am as an artist, um, what I'm supposed to be doing just in general on earth. Um, I, I figured out that my, some of my strength lies in being in service. Um, I was a phenomenal waiter, like amazing waiter. I cared when you sat down, I wanted your food to be right. I was there. I made bank, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and all of these roles I've had where I've been in service to other people, I just excelled and they made me happy. So I needed to figure out a way to do it with my art too. And I had gone through and, you know, done the, the project with the women and um, kind of discovered that that emotional connection is what I really wanted with my art. Um, and in that process, I was having to dig through a lot of things from my past or my emotions that I felt lonely with. And I didn't want others to feel lonely. And I also, again, I needed that something that I could take from somebody else and translate so I could better understand myself. If that makes sense, you know, I, 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 I needed their experience so I could bond with their experience and identify it and, and, place my own empathy with it so that could pull out something. Um, so what I did was I created these uh, plaster hands that were outstretched and I took them around to places and I had all these little luggage tags and it was titled leave your baggage. And so what people would do is they would write down the things that they carry around with them every day and get rid of them, throw them away, you know, give them to me and, then I would take that and it was all anonymous. Um, then I would take all those luggage tags and I'd go through one by one and sit with it and let it kind of soak into me and figure out how I relate to this, why this came to me. Why, why was this particular thing written on this tag and handed to me? It had to be a reason, right? We believe in faith. There had to be some kind of reason. So um, I would do my best to go in and create imagery that I connected with that connected with their story that hopefully the next person that views it would be able to connect with it. And again, not feel so alone in the world. And, and they gave me some rough stuff. Um, you know, we, we talked about eating disorders. We talked about drug abuse. We talked about, um, parent neglect. We talked about abortion. We talked about, um, you know, there's just, subject matter after subject matter after subject matter that these people were, were dropping in there. And I felt honored, you know, it, it broke me mentally because you, I have to dig up all these memories out of my life to, you know, like the growing up in the, the place that I grew up. Um, <laughs> surprisingly enough in high school, surprise, I developed an eating disorder, you know, between, finding like getting a, getting a, my driver's license and being able to travel to the town next to us to GNC and get at veteran when it was still legal. You know, I was popping those pills and not eating for weeks and vomiting when I did eat, you know, in, in order to fit in with those people that I was around at the time, because the, the high school that I went to, I don't know what happened. There was something in the water, but they were all models. 
Like everybody was beautiful. <laughs> that you had to, to live up to. That was ridiculous. So I was able to take in that and the time when I, I you know, somebody, one of the things that was written in was um, that I wish I wasn't addicted to pills anymore. And so, you know, my immediate reaction was the time that I dropped a whole bottle of ephedrine on the floor and like scrambled to get them back in the bottle to, so they wouldn't get wet. The casing wouldn't get wet and they would, I wouldn't have that pill anymore, you know? And, um, it's just things like that, that I was able to relate to. Again, I wasn't so alone in the world. They didn't feel so alone in the world. Hopefully they were relieved by at least being able to, to put it into words, breathe out and let yeah. someone else carry their load for a little bit. Somebody else, you know, if we, we hide everything. And even if you just write it down, you know, just, just put it into existence. The things that you're thinking and the things that you're going through, you don't have to tell anybody, but you do need to acknowledge it and recognize it and, and recognize it's something that you deal with. It's, it's almost giving respect to your problems so you can move past them. Can I tell you something crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I did a project eerily similar to that um, where I collected secrets from people. I was working at a bar. I collected secrets from people that came into the bar. And then I took the messages and I opened up fortune cookies in the microwave and took the, the um, you know, the fortune out and inserted the secrets into the cookie. Right. So I took all these fortune cookies to school. I was in college and on critique day, I made the whole class choose their fortune. Right. But instead of a fortune, they got someone else's secret. But the strangest thing was they all related. Like they picked up these cookies and they felt like this secret is for me because, you know, the essence of a fortune cookie is it's about your life. Right. So when they opened these secrets, they all found something relatable to what it said, even though it was all, you know, random, like who knew whose secret you would get? Who is, we don't, I don't even know whose secret that was, but we're all just walking around with a bunch of secrets and pain and, you know, and we hide it a lot. And I'm not saying that we should all be, you know, like, Eeyores and depressed and be woeful about all of our pain all the time. But at the same point, you've got to have a balance, right? Got to have a balance to what you're carrying around. And, and then just knowing that everyone else is walking around carrying the same things. Yeah. So I think that project's really, really cool. And crazy that I stumbled upon it. I was like, what? It's the fortune cookies. It's the scene. <laughs> well, I remember talking to you in your interview and you was, you started to talk about that and I almost was, and I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, <laughs> like I, I, I was watching, I, lo- I was looking at your project because you had it listed somewhere. I don't know if it was on your website, but you had talked about it somewhere else. And I had um, gone in and stalked it. so you saw some i don't have a lot of good pictures from it i don't even remember what all the messages were but there was a couple called it spill it that's a good title (laughs) 
Okay. So I know you said painting's painting, painting's painting, but I love the how of painting. So can we talk for a minute about um, your technique? Yeah. And, And specifically, you know, you have so much to express, right? You're, you experience the world pretty deeply. I can imagine, um, as, as well as many other artists do. I think we all are maybe a tad bit more sensitive than, than most people, but you have a lot to say, right? So I'm interested in how do you take this feeling, this emotion, this thought, and what is the next step from this stage into a painting? So, yeah. So how does, how does the idea start for you? And then what is the very next step you take? It's different now than it used to be. Um, you know, used to like with the women, I would just, I would get in the mode. I would go in and start drawing or whatnot. And then I would have something that I would need to express and I would go through all my stock and, and find something that related to me at that moment and just go to town, right. And start painting. Now, you know, years later, after you figured out kind of what you're doing and what you're talking about, and at least what inspires you to create, um, I have a, a binder. And every time I have an idea of just a random show, like, I, cause I, I, I think now I think in terms of almost a grand scale of, okay, if I want to talk about something what do I need to talk about? How would I make it into a full series? But these are all things that are just in my, my brain. You know, I, I would be thinking about them anyway. And so now I write it down and I put it in a binder. And so I have a binder of exhibition ideas and um, they'll, they'll come back up. Everything cycles with me. I, I like to say I have the memory of a peanut because I don't remember. I can remember years ago, but I can't remember two days ago. Um, and then, you know, years from now, I'll remember two days ago. It's, it's really, really good. Um, but I leave myself, tons crazy. Of, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I leave myself tons of notes and I'll start to experience something again. And I'll find a note that says, Oh, you have this and I'll go and pull. And it's just a whole bunch of inspiration. I've already pulled for that idea. It just now happens to be time that I need to execute it. And the things before I used to, like I said, I, I would get a photo that reminded me of something I needed to, to, to express. And I would paint from that photo, changing it how I needed to, um, to, to be my work instead of their work. But now I take, and I do a lot of collage and Photoshop and, um, you know, a, a lot of changing of the environments and stuff like that before I go in and, and paint it. So I go in and try to build in a story before I do that. But the other, I think another important part of my work to realize is that I paint in extremely vibrant, bold colors. Um, A lot of the subject matter, like if you look at my subject matter, it's a lot of fun. I like, I like having people look at it and and smile, Um, even though they might be looking at a painting that is heartbreaking. Once you learn all of the story behind it, you're not going to know it just right off the bat you're going to, you're going to see something that's a little bit joyful. And I almost feel like that's the way that, that, that I present myself in my life. Um, you know, we've got this joyful side that I love of myself where I get to interact and be happy. But then if you dig two two inches back, 
you know, you, you're going to start hitting some really, really deep emotional stuff. And that's kind of how I present my art. Do you, do you think that that comes from your, your pop culture love, like all these glamorous, you know, aesthetics that you're drawn to? Um, I think the I think that that can play a part of it, but I think that the, the need to be loved and accepted first Mm -hmm. plays a bigger part of it. Um, I've, I've created a couple of pieces that were hard to look at and it was hard for me to put it out in the world. You know, I, I think only a couple of friends ended up seeing that at a very personal show. Yeah. I just, I, I think it, I think it comes from the need to, to be just accepted and loved on site instead of, right. you know, and then we have a good first impression with your colors. <laughs> yeah. Here, let me, let me surprise you with this. And then we can talk about addiction. <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrible, but I'm laughing. That's exactly what you wanted. <laughs> I'm, I, I am in Southern. Like I, I want you to be, I want you to be comfortable with what you're looking at, at least at first, before I have to, to make you think. <laughs> That's very hospitable of you. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any artists that you've studied whose technique has shaped you in some way? John Singer Sargent. Okay. I love John Singer Sargent. Um, and and it, I think it goes to the way that he captured people. Um, <laughs> and the, the, and, and he liked to play his boundaries too. Like he liked to push his levels. Rembrandt had had the technique of the the super thin layers and oils and being able to have the light reflect off the canvas. Um, I didn't know that was what I was doing until I studied Rembrandt. And then I was like, oh, yeah, other people did this. Okay, now I have something to go off of. Um, But I think the most influence I have now come from the, the people that... This is going to sound so cliche, but I'm going to like Andy Warhol changed the world. You know, Andy Warhol had the factory in New York and it was a moment in art that you can now look back on. Um, Look at the Bauhaus movement. Look at I mean, and and if you want to go, you've got the Impressionist movement. You know, all of this comes from artists getting together themselves and communicating and creating a moment in time where it was important. And I think that that's been the most influential stuff in, in my study to see how their lives start. Cause I, and I do, if you, if you have the chance to read any biographies on any artists, just dive into them. It doesn't matter the artist you're going to find an entire life there that you can relate to and fall in love. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's just, it's all this information is out there on how art careers and how art movements and how this entire world works, even though it's the most unregulated market. (laughs) That's true. Do you, are you trying to start a movement Derek? Yeah, I want to move. I want Mississippi to be important for its artists. Like, I really, really do. We have incredibly diverse talent that's, and again, we go back to saying that we're, we're talking about things. 
it's not just about creating a pretty picture anymore or, you know, a decorative piece of art. There are contemporary Mississippi artists that are saying things that have to be heard. And Mississippi is not a place where people look. So at least when the time comes and people start looking, I want these biographies by podcast out there. I want these published shows that, that we've been doing. On, I want people to be able to find these moments where we all came together and created something. And then we went our separate ways. You know, that's it's history. You have to leave markers for people or they're never going to know. So out of all the Mississippi artists that you've interviewed so far and connected with, um, what would you say is a common thread between all of us? Because I'm interested to know what what our movement would be. You know, what what is the the commonality and what does that look like for someone who's looking back? The thing that everybody as a whole has needed has been more opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been a big thing. You know, we've got we've got some galleries and we've got some shows and they're all spread across the state. But but we we it's not enough. It's never going to be enough to, to service everybody that needs to be seen. Um, another thing is and, and this is nothing that anybody talks to, but I mean, talks about in any of the podcasts. But Mississippi is not well connected with Wi-Fi or Internet or, or any of that. We have these huge dead spots um, where talented people live and they don't have access to to things that could further their career. Um, they don't even have access to information where they can understand that this is a possible career. And that's a big down. I know that they're making progress and movements on on getting um, broadband out to rural areas but it is it's something that i think once it happens you're going to see a ton more extremely talented diverse artists being able to show their work again you know it's the internet is free if you can get to it but there's so many people who can't get to it so that's i I think that that's another big common thing yeah, it's true. I come from a place that didn't have internet for a long, long time. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I just steadily keep moving further and further north to the point where I'm almost out of Mississippi, right? I'm 15 minutes from Memphis, um, where where there's opportunity, right? And we're in the studio right now, um, which I have, you know, great Wi-Fi on. But if I drive five minutes down the road to my house, I can't send a text message. And there is no Wi-Fi. There is no Internet out there. Um, You have to do it through thanks to laws and regulations and all that kind of good stuff. When they were building these companies in the beginning, you have to do it through um, cellular Wi-Fi, which sucks. So, you know, you there there's no Internet out there. So, I, you know, if, if I have something important I need to do, it doesn't matter what time I'm going to buzz back to the studio and, and try to get it done so I can actually be connected when it happens. Yeah, although I kind of like it sometimes because if I go visit my mom, it's like I've dropped off the face of the earth. Nobody can reach me and I can just emerge from her house like I was in Pleasant Grove. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it is. Nice. No <laughs> 
you can tell the weekends where I don't come back to the studio because you don't see any social media posts. You don't see anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to get into to what you're doing, because anybody who's seen what you've been putting out online knows that you are a very busy up and coming tastemaker, I must say, in Mississippi. You are teaching. You've got this podcast going. You are doing curated exhibitions for people. And I don't know if it's out yet, but the publication, the magazine, right? Yeah. So, so tell me, tell me a little about your grand plans with all of these things and in the future. Like, what can we expect from Mississippi artist to artist and the magazine and the shows? It's continually developing. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's continually turning into something different. It's not anything I ever expected to happen. It all started in the pandemic. Um, and it used to be, you know, I used to have it when it was still called Spotlight On. The, the whole first season I had, you know, why we existed in the in the, the opening credits. Um, but it was created during the pandemic because I was lonely. You know, I didn't have any students at the time. Um, I was working on my work. But again, I wasn't running into anybody. I wasn't able to have any conversations. And while the world was physically shut down, I decided to play to my strengths and I knew how to do things online. And the way it originally started was I just sent out emails of questions and it was just going to be a blog. I I wanted to promote artists and take down their their history um, through a blog. So I'd send out questionnaires and that was kind of working. Um, They would send them, fill them out and send them back. And I'd cut it all up and and put it up, but it took too long. Um, So now it's streamlined into the podcast. And I think what I would eventually like to do is to take, I've I've got to start getting them transcribed anyway. Um, But I would like to take all of them and put everybody's interview into one collectible book. You know, just so you have, again, a documented history of people that are living and creating art in Mississippi right now. Um, Where else are you going to find it? On these, it has been so personal. There are artists that have come on that don't quite understand themselves yet. You know, and I like having that wide variety of artists. I like having the student artist and the, the recently graduated artist in the mid-career and the late career. Um, but I think taking all of it and eventually putting it together in just kind of a compendium would would make me happy um, with the Mississippi artist artist. I just hope that people are able to discover it uh, or to discover whoever they're going to love in life. You know, you've got all these great artists. Here's a ton of different profiles that you can go in and pick out something new to, to enjoy and, and discover new artists that you maybe never knew about. And so that's kind of the goal of that. Um, Do you think that you would take, you think that you would take this nationally? Like and try to show um, people outside of the states what's happening here. Is so, that- <laughs> well, you know, you, you can't keep a podcast in borders. Um, and when I when I switched over in December, um, I went from one company that hosted and, and um, sent out my podcast to another company. 
and the, the company I moved to started giving me the analytics. You know, here's where people are listening. Here's how many people are listening. We have, you know, the majority of my listeners are are from Mississippi are, you know, living here, but then we've got listeners in the UK. We've got listeners in Scotland. There's one in Brazil. There's several in California and North um, in the Northern United States. Like I'm able to see all of these different places of people that are paying attention. And I think it goes back to that greater connection of, well, if their life is like this, maybe my life can be like that. And maybe they won't all think that we're just, Dumb Mississippians. Yeah, just open up a whole different side of our state because we are on the news a lot these days and it's not for things that I would really want our state to be on the news for. So I, I do I do want to put out documentation of these points of view. You know, we're living in the state. We're here. We're Mississippians and we don't necessarily agree with everything and it's tragic sometimes and we we get a bad rap but there are a lot of us in here that that try our best to kind of counteract those things and to show how wonderful mississippi can actually be yeah i completely agree i think i think that might be one of the common threads between all of us Mm -hmm. we all all love this place and um as artists, we try to find the beauty in it and we're all trying to show, show our, our beautiful side to, to what we see. I have, have two final questions for you, Derek. Um, the first is related to your work and the second is related to, um, your creative work as you called it. So what do you think is the big vision behind your personal artwork? And, um, how do you want it to be perceived in the world? I think my biggest vision with my artwork almost goes hand in hand with trying to be perceived in the world. Um, I want to get my artwork to a point where I'm comfortable with what I'm talking about and I'm able to share it freely. And as of right now, I'm not comfortable. You know, there's lots of things that I'm talking about that I don't, I don't feel comfortable sharing. Um, so I think that's, that's what I'm trying to accomplish in my art and the overall long-term perception of my art, I hope is just look, here's a person at that point in time that had that point of view or that was living here. That was somebody different. Mm-hmm. It would have been useful for me when I was younger, if I would have been able to see somebody besides Ellen getting lambasted on TV or Will and Grace being, you know, torn apart in church. You know, it would have been more useful for me if I could have seen a queer artist making a living or um, just being heard talking because that wasn't available. You know, people got ran out of town. So, yeah, I think that's that's what it is. I think I just want some time a mark in history that says that this person was here and it was OK. I think I think that's coming. The COVID and all the stuff happening right now with with race relations and um, acceptance in general 
is is changing. So we're going to talk. Again. We're going to talk again in a year. It's going to no, be. 20. It'll it'll take about twenty more years. <laughs> Maybe, but in a year, I think Eric will be comfortable with his art. <laughs> it's going to be that fast. <laughs> we're going to make it happen. I'll hold you to it. Um, my second question is. What is your, what's your big vision for the little yellow building and everything you're creating inside the space? So you're teaching as well as the opportunities you're making. Well, first I'd want to say that, and I put out a statement not long, too, too long ago. Um, we're not a gallery. The little yellow building's not a gallery. You know, the, the closest thing that I can come to describing it would be a production house where I, I take these calls for arts, uh, calls for art. I take these call for art and and find Mississippi artists and put them together and get them talking about something, um, whether it be like our first show, we talked about hope, all the different ways that Mississippi artists interpret hope. And we put that together. All of that's just part of a bigger plan to, again, have continual documentation of the Mississippi artists that are working together and working forward. Um, the, the new thing that we're kind of playing around with um, and, and I sent out several invitations and we're, we're slowly building it is um, called The Collective. And it's it's just artists that we've worked with in the past that want to support each other and and want to talk and want to know what each other are doing and help push everyone forward. And um, it's important for me that I get these people talking because I need to, you know, I need the community just as much as anybody else would. So that's why I'm trying to, that's, that's what I'm trying to build is just everything that I need. I want to provide to everybody else as well. Um, Cause it's, it's pointless if it's just me. And what's the point of any of that? No, it needs to be lots of personalities and it needs to be lots of talent and, and lots of creative ideas that are going to push Mississippi forward in its next evolution of art. I don't know if that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so exciting. I had a huge smile when I opened that email from you as an invitation, because um, I, I think it's wonderful to you know, not only be exposed, like your work and your voice be exposed, but, you know, as me, little old Mississippi artist here, trying to, trying to speak and trying to say things and only, only getting so far, um, you know, just being able to make a bigger connection. Plus, I think that this uh, collective should involve um, at some point in the future, face-to-face -face field trips. Oh, it has, like to. Everyone. <laughs> it has to. It's exciting. It really is. I, I don't know what it's going to do. I don't know what it's going to be. I had to describe it to somebody the other day and I called it AA for artists because it's just we need each other. And we need to be accountable for each other and we need to be making sure that not only are our voices being heard, but the artists around us, their voices are being heard. And the issues that I want dealt with in Mississippi, Mississippi's not ready for. So I'm going to take my time and make sure I support all the other issues that can move us forward mm -hmm. in order to get me to what I need to happen. You know, and and having a, a big arts community that speaks with each other and communicates and holds each other accountable, that's that's what I need. So that's what we're playing with. <laughs> 
Well, I love it. You know, as I was a very, very brief director for a nonprofit here in Hernando, and I thought that that would get me closer to the art community, right? But but it didn't really. It just connected me with a bunch of, well, basically, you know, older people who are retired and now they've decided they're going to make some art, yeah. right? But nobody who's trying to make it as an artist and even leaving that place and, you know, saying, well, I'm just going to try to be an artist. Everybody, everybody's like, huh, are you crazy? You know? So, you know, I think that what you're doing here with, with the little yellow building and the podcast and the collective is just so beautiful. And something I know that I've been looking for for quite some time and I haven't been able to find it. So um, I know personally, I'm excited to be a part of it. And I just want to say that, you know, I think that your art and your work is a, I'll say a cultural entrepreneur. That's a good word. You can add that to your resume. It's it's bold. It's, it's striking. Um, it's inspirational and it's, it's good. So I just want to compliment you in that way, because I think that you're doing amazing things. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, shall I wrap it up? Yeah, go for it. How how does one wrap up a podcast? Well, guys, um, Derek, thank thank you for coming on today. Um, I really enjoyed getting to know you better and you know, I just want to say that I still had four more pages of questions that I didn't get to that I really wanted to learn about you. So there's still time in the future. We'll do this again. But for now, I hope everyone enjoys this for context where we're talking on um, a Friday, February the 11th. And I think it's midday. So it's probably 70 degrees outside here in Mississippi, which is insane. Um, But I hope everyone enjoys their weekend and thank you. Thank you for letting me do this. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to our 50th episode. This has been a wonderful ride and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate all the feedback and all the comments and the congratulations. It's really meant the world to me to be able to do something like this where I get to reach out and talk to artists. We have a question on Facebook from Bob Bruzek. The photos in the latest art mag are great little glimpses of the places you visit. Tell us about the Polaroid vibe you're going for. So the the first of all the photos that were sent in I I unfortunately did not get to go take them. My car is just riding its last legs and I haven't been able to travel lately. Um, but Church Going Mule who runs the the membership um, who runs the programs up there sent pictures, these wonderful nostalgic pictures. And they reminded me of when I was a little one, I would go to a local Lake Lincoln with my parents and their friends and they would bring the camper and they would set up the lights on the camper. And, and I just remember the pictures that were taken there were all Polaroids. And it reminded me of some place I could go to get away and to kind of enjoy the moment with filtering out the world. And that's kind of what the Polaroid vibe went for. I wanted 
nostalgia and it reminded me of when I was a kid. Thank you, Bob, for the question. And thank you to the Friends of the Little Yellow Building. Their membership make all of this possible. Uh, Beth Breland, Mary Hardy, Gwen Fury, Mary Adams, Jenny Howard, Jenny Moak, Evelyn Peavy, the Evans family, Janet Smith, Buffy Jordan, Jennifer Drinkwater, the Smith family, Bob Bruzek, and Hannah Hester. Uh, your support is just the world. I appreciate everything. All right. Until the next episode. Bye. Thank you.